What's up, everybody? Are you tuning in to the Challenge USA on CBS? Well, tune in to me, Tyson Apostle, as I break down each and every episode with my co-host, Amelia Wedemeyer. I'm also a contestant on the show, which gives you all the insider scoop. Amelia, how stoked are you to do this? Tyson, I'm freaking excited. I cannot wait to sit my butt down every single week to watch the show, then come here and recap it with you on the Ringer Reality TV podcast. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise. But if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com. And joining me on the other line, he's got mail. It's Andy Greenwald. Was TheRinger.biz taken? I think Juliet actually has a lot of different URLs. Yes. I feel like we should be TheRinger.tv. She's got a lot of GoDaddy action going. You know, like she has she has a lot of like The Ringer. Like, well, because you remember that we did the whole thing with like, yes. what should we name the company? I think she did like she got... URLs for a lot of that stuff. Yeah, and now she has a small business where she flips AngelinaJolie.net, you know, to she holds it hostage. I'm just incredible. Kidding, she do that. Hi, Andy. What's up? Hey, buddy. And uh, welcome back, Kaya. Kaya's back. I was going to say that. You know, I was going to say that people, many people have been saying that we've been missing something over the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Like that there's just something off with our energy. You can tell that CR and AG, maybe they're not clicking the way they used to. And it's really because we lost the production magic of Kaya McMullen, but she is back from her vacation. Uh, so we welcome her. We thank her for coming back. Um, it's the third heat. Remember the 30 Rock pilot? That's right. She's the third heat. <laughs> That's what we need for the microwave. Greenwald, today we're going to do a summer mailbag because, you know, we just kind of arrived at this point. We're in between Saul episodes, obviously. We'll be back on Monday night with our Saul recap. I hope everybody enjoyed our Peter Gould interview. That was a real thrill for us to talk to him. And if you haven't had a chance to check that out, I highly recommend any Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul fans, as long as you're caught up with Better Call Saul and you know Breaking Bad as well, check it out. Um, so we're really excited to see where Breaking, uh, Breaking Bad, where Better Call Saul goes from here. Uh, a bunch of new shows coming up in the next couple of weeks. We got industry coming back. Uh, I wanted to start the mailbag 
with a message from Chris from Philadelphia. Oh, yeah. Hey. Hey, <laughs> longtime listener. Andy, this fucking House of the Dragon trailer looks sick. Y or N? Oh, big Y. Yeah. Big Y. And no, no question why, right? Uh, I, first of all, whoever the person is at HBO, at the trailer house, who works on House of the Dragon, who is like, you know it would be dope is if we repurposed the Velvet Underground's Venus and Furs as a uh, dirge for succession in, in Westeros. That person needs a raise. Well, isn't it the same person that's just like came up with Westworld's whole shit, which is just like, what if Radiohead, but slower? Yeah, right? but like, I, I thought it was like really cool how they even did the the the, perc- the percussion for the three chest yeah. bumps when everybody's bowing to my guy Damon, played by Matt Smith. So, well, this brings up two things. So I guess my question for you, Chris, you know, as a longtime, longtime Westerosi, mm-hmm. um, are you just back? Like, are you just like, did it, did it prickle all the old nerve endings? Or is there something unique about this new show at this particular moment that is 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 sparking you? Uh, well, I thought it looked great, first of all. Like, you yeah. know, I think that you and I have chatted a, a couple of times over the Thor Love and Thunder conversation. We, we kind of concern trolled the Lord of the Rings trailer previous to the most recent one. I think when we had seen like kind of like some of the some of the postcard, po- like some of the posters yeah. for the show, we had been like, ah, this just looks like Game of Thrones. And it's the Sapochnik factor, right? It's it's the fact that they got Miguel Sapochnik to direct at least the pilot, I'm sure multiple episodes, but also to oversee the visual kind of tone of the show. And I, it, it's something that I didn't know I was missing so much. Uh, and yeah. I think that there's like a feeling to that trailer where you're just like, it's not even about going back to the world or going back to the, you know, to the scenario of dragons being real and 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 struggling for uh, a, what looks to be a very uncomfortable chair. It's really the storytelling style. And is, is that the most mid forties take ever to be like the Iron <laughs> Throne lacks lumbar support? <laughs> I mean, it's not just lacks lumbar support. It sticks things into your skin. That's true. Um, That's also a problem. I just I'm really I'm really thrilled for this. I'm really thrilled for like a bracingly adult, like cutthroat, probably literally show like this and I, I I can't wait I think that like they waited a long time to do this I was reading James Hibbard's very mm-hmm. long very interesting behind the scenes uh, making of and, and sort of chronicle of the last couple of years of the franchise and how they had gone through Blood Moon and they had been talking to this person and talking to that person about doing different takes on the show and that this is the one they arrived on they went to series with it and it just I, I feel like I trust them Trust these people. I trust HBO and George R. R. Martin and Condal and Misopachnik to have like been like, this is the one that we want to make. Yeah, that's an interesting way to look at it. The perspective of the HBO factor, which is to say that I think it's not, this isn't a hot take, but just if you look at the history of, certainly the modern history of television, HBO has pretty inarguably the most successful development process. And of course, they're every development uh, process is filled with a graveyard of good ideas, like R.I.P. Uh, Noah Baumbach's The Corrections Show. Like, not everything works out, and there are plenty of people who've gone through that process and been frustrated that it was a tight pipeline, and et cetera, et cetera. But they pride themselves on the fact that, like, you come in here, we will, the end result will be an HBO show. Yeah, we give you right? notes. Yeah. And, and we build things a certain way. And that 
has proved maybe to be the secret sauce in an old-fashioned way of the streaming wars. Not just, I mean, I saw New York Magazine and Vulture declared HBO Max the essential streaming service. I think that's a very strong, there's a strong case to be made that that's true. But that's also the kind of thing that when you look back on other attempts to franchise build, whether they've been long-term successful, short-term successful, or not at all successful, that system has been lacking, right? And we're starting to see the, the fraying in the MCU because of that. You know, the DC story is well covered and the, the jury is obviously out on Lord of the Rings, the other big show of the end of the summer, because that's a new experience for everyone involved, resurrecting right. something, but the connecting it to movies, Amazon doing it, blah, blah, blah. Like the fact that HBO, here's the thing that gives me confidence. It's not just the Sapochnik factor. It's not just the cast because Matt Smith is just on like a decade long heater right now. And I'm really excited that he's on the show. Our boy, the, Patty Considine last seen as the, the guardian journalist in the Bourne movie. <laughs> I mean, I, I was going to make the same joke. He's, like, he's truly not last <laughs> seen, but always seen, like in a very deep, like like end of a rom-com, I, I see you way. Yeah. Like I will always see him there. More that like they focused on this one, you know, that, that, like that, that that was the decision and that they admitted where they made a few missteps before. Like that gives me a lot of confidence that this isn't, Look, the the, the Jon Snow prequel, uh, sorry, Jon Snow sequel series being announced still strikes me as very weird. I still think that was not intentional because it it diluted this message that I'm now carrying water for, which is like they picked and chose the one. Well, right? it's funny that you should mention that. So I'll get into some of the questions we got from listeners. These went out over Facebook and Twitter. And thank you so much to everybody who sent the questions. We always get way more than we can possibly handle. So maybe we should start doing these more regularly or maybe once a month or something yeah. like that. But uh, Ernest Calderon asked, what TV show would you like to see get the Saul treatment? A direct continuation expan expansion of the world with the cast and crew returning. I think that latter part is the most important part, the crew. Mm. Does the Jon Snow spinoff have potential to fit the bill? So I saw a, a, like a fan poster of, this, of the snow. I think it was a fan-made poster too, of yeah. the snow series. And it does seem like, at least uh, according to Amelia Clark, like this is this is actually like at least in development. Um, the crew thing is really important. I think talking to Peter Gould, and we'd always kind of speculated and talked about this, but you know, when you watch the the Better Call Saul credits, so many of those names are people who have been working in Albuquerque for the better part of. 10, 15 years, right? Yes. Like on these shows. And the institutional knowledge, but also the coherent aesthetic while still allowing for permutations and iterations on that aesthetic is pretty is pretty striking. I, I would honestly go as far as to say almost maybe a singular achievement in television is to have somebody like a, a new a show on top of what was already considered a classic taking some of the visual elements, taking some of the stylistic storytelling elements, and then going in all these different directions, whether it's broader comedy or absolutely haunting uh, criminal underworld tales. It's just, I don't, I don't know how often you can do that. If the, if the price of admission for people's level of excitement about Jon Snow is Benioff and Weiss, I wouldn't hold your breath. You know, I, yep. I really don't think that those guys are going to be coming back to this anytime soon. But what do you think? I, I think that you're right to identify the crew continuity as, as everything. Um, we will never, as lay people or as fans, be able to appreciate what the below-the-line people did to keep the Albuquerque-verse um, aloft for these 10, 15 years. I mean, that that is essential. And it also is essential to 
the investment of those involved, right? Like even in our Peter Gould interview, he talked about something that we we latched onto from the New York Times profile of Odenkirk, which is just that after years of coming to this place and knowing what it means to live in the city and your relationship, your distance from your family and what it means to be at work and blah, blah, blah. Odenkirk was like to Ray Seahorn and Patrick Fabian, like, let's get a place together. And mm-hmm. here's the neighborhood it should be in. And we'll just have a lot of, what did Peter Gould was like, there's a lot of ice cream in their freezer. You know what I mean? Like that- right. Culture, look, Chris, you're an NBA guy. Culture matters. Yeah. Right? It kind of does. It's kept the Spurs really steady over the last couple of years, this culture. Very, very steady. We got great culture, though. (laughs) There are are limits. No, I know what you mean. Heat culture. I was thinking more heat culture, perhaps. But, um, uh, you know, our favorite team. We just love those guys. Just always big supporters of South Beach Titans. Um, But that said... As fans, we can't really let that get in the way of what we want. And so when you when I heard the question, like they're, you know, look, I always want more Twin Peaks. That's probably not happening. I 12 years later, I'm still like, boy, I really like Terriers. Um, all of that is still true. I'm still that person. But when I heard the question, immediately I was like, yeah, I, I miss Mad Men. Yeah. I miss Mad Men. I don't think there's more story in those characters, that office, that decade, but I wasn't the only one to be like, can we do the Sally Draper in the 80s spinoff? You know, like, is there something else to be done? And I, I, it's funny. That's my answer just because I miss that show and having something so thoughtful and heady and insular and focused and creative and artistic. But what is the special sauce that I miss? Because yeah, right. it wasn't it, it, necessarily the Romanoffs. You know what I mean? No disrespect to everyone involved in that. Like that was pure whiner. And I was like, not, it had some major flaws. So what is it that I'm talking about that I miss? And maybe this is just a way to circle back to the culture and crew question. Is it replaceable? And now that we know so much about how TV is made and what how ephemeral a lot of this stuff is, is the question dead because we can't get it back? Is it just purely yeah. a nostalgia exercise? I don't know. Like... You know, you know, I'll be very interested to see. It also depends on like how you define these things, right? Like there has been, I, I think it's pretty easy to kind of make the connections between We Own This City and The Wire and call yes. that like almost like an point. appendix or an update or a, like a news from the front of the drug war. Uh, and obviously used a lot of the same crew, but crucially, I think had a singular director working on those scripts uh, with Ronaldo Marcus Green directing the Pelicanos and, and Simon and team scripts. I'll be very interested to see this justified yes. like update that they're doing. So a lot of the same people who worked on the original Justified are working on City Primeval, which or at least that's the I don't I, I don't know if it's Justified City Primeval, but it's based on the Elmore Leonard book, High Noon in Detroit, City Primeval. And from all accounts, it's gonna be most of what you love about Justified, but also reckoning with how the world has changed since Justified went on the air how our relationship with gun violence, how our relationship with policing and all these things have changed. I don't necessarily think it's going to be like, uh, like a, about that, but I think that they couldn't do the show without kind of acknowledging that. So mm-hmm. I'll be really fascinated to see what they do with that character. And I think that, it, not to put too fine a point on it, it's almost like what Linklater does with the before movies where I would be kind of interested if they just did like a Raylan show every five or seven years yeah, <laughs> and just were sure. like, here's a case and here's a new Elmore Leonard adaptation, but also like what's going on in the country. Well, but also that was what like Prime Suspect did. That's what Luther yeah. did. Like there's a model for that, Sherlock. It's a, it's a British model, but I don't see why that couldn't be adopted. Absolutely. 
I'll ask another question, uh, which is kind of Saul related, but what would be the premise for another spinoff of Breaking Bad Saul that you think could sustain five seasons and live up to the other two series? This is a really good, really good question. I don't want to say leave well enough alone. I don't want to say you guys did it. I don't want to say you guys landed the plane twice. Don't take off again, because I would have said that when they started Better Call Saul. Yeah. I'll throw out some ideas. But the problem is, is that we have gotten to the end of the road. I think just like father time wise with Jonathan Banks, right? Like, I don't think you can de-age Jonathan Banks and we know what happens to him on Breaking Bad. Honestly, the most potential out there is either Walt Jr. Wow. Jesse, I guess. What's he doing, you know, after the end of El Camino? I mean, what what else would there be? I mean, because we kind of got okay. a lot of this in El Camino. I, 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 I have a couple. Um, and I'll sh- I should say, I don't think any of these are, are viable. Because if you think from a traditional TV point of view, like what is the, what is the workplace or the setting for a spinoff? And there's only two that come to mind right off the bat. One is the courthouse. We've already we've met a couple people. Roy Wood works there apparently, you know, as oh, a yeah. as a as a prosecutor. Like there are For some sure. fun characters and a memorable, terrible, a memorably terrible coffee machine and a whole parade of interesting and not as interesting cases and people coming through it. Told through the the you know, the 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 Gilligan Gould Axis's inimitable style and sense of humor and point of view, like that would be a decent procedural. But it's essentially the same thing, right? It's like the nexus of the mundane and the almost operatically criminal. And like that, we've done that. I don't think there's really more to do there. The second nexus of the mundane and operatically criminal is the the veterinarian who's also the mob doctor, mm-hmm. which is just, you know, a great trope. Like I, my ears, this isn't a spoiler for Better Call Saul, but the other week when a character had a gunshot wound and they're like, the doctor is on his way across the border from Mexico. I'm like, I give me eight episodes on that guy. Here's the problem, Andy. Yeah. I will not stand for this erasure of the show Mob Doctor. Oh my God, you're right. Don't you remember that? Jordana Spiro, Spiro <laughs> yeah. Mob Doctor. We talked about that a lot. Great show. No, it wasn't. Great premise. Um, I love that idea. It's still a good, I don't think it's viable anymore thanks to the work of the very specifically titled show, <laughs> very specifically titled Mob Doctor. What kind of doctor but is this guy? I I, I, I do like that. Um, but I feel like, so anyway, all it's all redundant. There's not, there aren't any characters with more tale to tell both. Mm-hmm. I meant, I meant it figuratively, but maybe literally as well. There's one Avenue. There's one baby okay. Holly, baby Holly grows up. Baby Holly's <laughs> you, legacy of ashes. So baby Holly. Right? Well off, right? You will, you think, but so li- very liquid. I, 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 baby Holly, Haley Steinfeld, uh, goes to college. Mom, Skylar can pay for college. There's an issue at the bursar's office. The check didn't clear. Wait, what's the story? Why does my family have money? I have to unravel this. She ends up going on a desperado quest south of the border to find out the origins of, of the blood money that put her in a position to become what? What is she going to be? She's a, she's a scientist, right? She's going to do something good for the world? Are we mm-hmm. pitching this? So, I, I kind of like mob student. I want to keep her in college. I want it to be like a campus, okay. a campus comedy. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Okay. Well, all right. Well, we'll, we'll also, workshop like, this. W- what, what better place to sell meth than school? You know? 
the, the other, <laughs> well, that's great during finals week. I do think that it's interesting, like Breaking Bad came, Vince Gilligan had worked on the X-Files, right? In the same mm-hmm. way that like a lot of the great shows of that era came from people who had worked in the trenches of the previous era of TV and were chafing against the limitations of it. Weiner had that experience. David Chase is the definition of that. And so what's interesting and maybe key to these shows' successes is that within the Breaking Bad Better Call structure, is a CBS procedural. I mean, Jonathan Banks as the equalizer, right? Like that, that would be the best show if he just wasn't necessarily tied to Gus and was just this methodical older guy with a bat past who got shit done. Like, yeah. And we would all watch that show. But what they did so brilliantly is they folded a less interesting CBS procedural into the larger tapestry of this more engaging and gripping show. So Here's it's hard thing. to it's hard to take the threads out. I, I mean, obviously it it, it enormously helped Saul to have this connective tissue to Breaking Bad. And now as mm-hmm. we get closer and closer, I don't even know what might happen in the na- last few episodes of Better Call Saul that might suggest that there's more story to tell. You know, we don't really know. But the thing that I admired the most about Saul is the fact that Breaking Bad was this, I mean, obviously it was a family drama, but it was also about the drug world. There is elements of that in Better Call Saul, but it is essentially a legal drama. Mm-hmm as well as a relationship and character study. I wouldn't put it past the Gould-Gilligan access to think of another type of genre of show that they wanted to set in that world and figure out some way to connect it. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com watch. That's mintmobile.com watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear. Especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it you can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. 
So uh, while we're talking about sequels and prequels and spinoffs, I just want to say thank you to everybody who asked me, or at, specifically me, about Heat 2. Obviously, we are monitoring the situation. <laughs> uh, so um, Dan Devine, our buddy from The Ringer, asked, how much of the new New York Times Michael Mann profile will you be getting tattooed on your flesh? And will it be a cohesive unified design or more of a scattered memento situation? Dan, that's a great question. Mm-hmm. And I have already contacted somebody about getting Find Me a Psychotic Kitchen Chair, which is something that Michael Mann said on the set of Manhunter <laughs> to his set designer. <laughs> I'll give you getting that across my throat. Can I say, you know, we are having a, a, a look, it's the age of man. It's a right? renaissance. Yeah. Yeah. Finally, man's back. Yeah. It's been a rough few <laughs> years for man. Um, but I think we're, we're making a comeback. For sure. Um, you have been in the room with the guy. You, 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 I've been in a virtual room with him. With him. Yeah, right. right. You've, you've, you've spoken to him. I have been an admirer from a distance. Yeah. And, and and to be clear, for people who aren't following it, there is a new novel being published, Heat 2, right? That, that Co-written up story. by Mann and Meg Gardner, yeah. Right. So, um, and so it's he's doing some press stuff for It's a prequel to the it. events of Heat. So it's apparently like a 500-page book that goes into Neil and Vince and Chris's backgrounds, childhoods, what a, young lives. So I learned something this week that is pretty basic, which is... I listened to you guys. You love it when I talk about other podcasts, but what I, I did listen to Michael Mann on Marin this week, mm-hmm. and I haven't really. I've been a fan of Michael Mann. I think I've seen all of his movies or close to all of his movies. I haven't seen what's Black Hat. Is that the one? Black Hat's the hacker one. Yeah, with yeah, Chris I, 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 I gave that one a miss, but for some reason, I never made the obvious connection that he, of course, despite being like the tough guy, swaggering Chicago guy, and like known for these very like hyper, in some ways, masculine films is just a theater kid at heart, even though he would never admit it. And like his, the, the way, the loving way he talked about doing the months of research for Last of the Mohicans, you know, mm-hmm. or the the insane level of back, he was just like, Marin, Marin was like, so, you know, these characters from Heat, they've, they must have lived with you for 35 years. And he's just like, they've lived with me my whole life, basically. Yeah. Like, I know everything about Neil Macaulay. Like, I know I know he where, does. what he has for breakfast. And like- he does. Of course he is. That's what makes the movies good. It's not because he's some sort of like virtuoso in the edit bay or whatever, or he like challenges Pacino to like go to zag when he wants to zig. It's it's that he's an artist. Like and I and that, that seems like such a soft soft response to to man, but I found that very endearing. And of he, course, it made sense in the uh, the piece that Jonah wrote in the Times. One of the secondaries is Daniel Day Lewis. <laughs> just talks nice. about like Swag. how close he like he's their close friends, and they talk. He talks about the the trapper school that yes. they went to in Alabama, and it, it's just like yeah, you're right. That's where he builds these movies that seem so stylish, and they are so stylish, and they're so well realized. But the reason why they're well realized is the foundation of you know, verisimilitude and like the, the, the mm-hmm. research that he puts into it so that he knows why somebody has, I mean, the, the find me a psychotic kitchen chair line is because he knows what furniture he wants to be in each person's room because he's like, this person chose that furniture. In a sense, furniture is character. Everything is yep. character. Everything, everything is about yeah. whatever, you know, what everything else is about. Let's talk a little bit about... Gosh, where do we want to go here? So we got some really good ones. We had some responses to our top 10 lists. Uh, uniformly positive. No disagreements with either of our lists. Everybody's saying that we got all the good shows in there and none of the yeah, bad shows. Yeah, that's the vibe I got. Yeah. Um, all right. Mary Page Bailey asks, what's the best single performance from a 2022 show that didn't make 
your first half top 10? The best performance? Yeah. Um, like a, a standout performance that didn't oh. make her. For me, it's it because I'm still living in the horror place I was at the end of our top 10 oh, conversation. Oh, that was like, remember Winning Time? Yeah, Quincy Isaiah as Magic Johnson on Winning Time. I mean, and you could go down the list of that show. I mean, I loved, I loved the show mainly because of the performances, but I just feel like a relative unknown being asked to play one of the most famous people in the world who's famous not just for his demeanor, but for his athletic skills. And then just within 10 minutes, I'm like, yeah, that's Magic Johnson. That's a really special performance. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll shout out Andrew Garfield from Under the mm-hmm. Banner of Heaven, which I know we talked about the first couple of episodes of. And I felt like just really didn't um, didn't really do it for me on the back half of its season. I thought that it was a really, really strong first episode, a fairly good second one. And I just felt like I didn't really I didn't really know what it was trying to do with the last few episodes. I think playing with the multiple timelines is tough for that show, but I really, really uh thought he was extraordinary across the board. What's another one that I really liked? I actually thought Michael Sarah was awesome on Life and Beth the Amy Schumer show that came oh. out on Hulu earlier in the year. He plays basically the romantic lead of the show. Uh, very complicated character, but I, it, it's he doesn't do a ton, Michael Sarah, And I, I kind of, I know that his brain is not unlike Bill Hader. He's like a huge cinema fan. It's like interesting to watch him interact with like the contemporary TV landscape or movie landscape when he shows up. But I just thought he was he was quite good on this. I have to do a very me thing and shout out the German actor Lars Eidinger, who's absolutely <laughs> unreal on Irma How is Vep. that very you? Well, because <laughs> it's, it's Irma Vap. Okay. It's Irma Vap. And um, for people who are listening to this podcast who are curious about more Vep coverage, um, I spoke to Olivier Asayas, the filmmaker, a hero of mine. That'll air next week, so you'll get your VEP coverage. Don't worry. Relax, everyone. All the VEP heads hitting me up all hours of the day. But, you know, to to get, to, to, to have it, again, he's, a, he's a, I'm sure, a well-regarded and well-known German actor. I'd never encountered him before. And have Asayas be like, come on my TV show, and I want your character to be the embodiment of Rainer, of, of um, fuck, what's his name? Of Fassbender? Oh, okay, yeah. Not Michael? You know the German, Rainer Werner, Rainer Werner, yeah, the the, the genius of of New German cinema, whatever. But like, so he's a pansexual crackhead who just like brings joy and chaos wherever he goes, and it's a really great performance in a show that isn't for everyone. But you know, it was for me. Should we do some uh, more broad kind of state of the industry questions? Because we got a couple of those. One's from F. Clint Denisco, and he said, "Are we starting to actually see?" the different models of TV and cinema flip back to normal. With big movie ah. successes as of recent, um, I guess he's referring to Top Gun and Thor and a couple of other things. Obviously, Black Phone did really well as a horror. Uh, and TV shows like Abbott Elementary winning, uh, being nominated for Emmys, I think he means, uh, is the theory of movies are just television now and TV is where real cinema happens over. I think it's a great question. I, I, there's definitely a move towards more traditional things in both spaces in that, Big movies are now being once again released in theaters and reaping the benefits of that. Longer running series, we talked about this when we were reviewing the Emmy nominations, are being rewarded and I think being celebrated and appreciated. I think there's maybe a more pessimistic uh, economics at work behind this because one of the reasons why things may be settling down is because fewer things are being greenlit and fewer Mm -hmm. chances are being taken. There's absolutely, we are in a, in two senses, one good, one bad, we are in a bear market right now in television. One, the bear, everybody loves it. Two, 
there are giant projects going out that are striking out. And when I say going out, I mean like big stars, big directors, big swings being shopped to networks and streamers and just just go for it, like zero. Nobody will make them. Nobody wants them. Um, and, you know, there's obviously some fun industry schadenfreude about that, like, oh, Netflix can't afford to make X anymore or J.J. Abrams belly flopped with Demi Mond and it's not going forward. But we don't know the things that we're being robbed of and they may be mm-hmm. things that could have rewritten our, the paradigm or our, or our understanding of what each field can do. So I, I think it's a worthwhile observation to track, but I'm not really sure what it means yet because I think that there's a, there's a lot of ripples still to be felt. I was uh, reading an interview with Ethan Hawke who was doing, I think it was IndieWire, and he was talking about his Paul Newman documentary, Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward art documentary that he has coming out on HBO. And they were asking him about Moon Knight, and he, I think, thought very classily sort of phrased this as, I find Marvel to be very actor-friendly, maybe not director-friendly. Mm-hmm. And yes. I think that what we're probably seeing is, and this will get to a question from a mailbag question in a second, is a lot of things that might have been originally conceived or best conceived of as features that are being pushed, pulled, stretched into series. And that is where we're kind of coming up a little short. The filmmaking aspect of it, I kind of feel like there has been an A, which isn't to say that there isn't great filmmaking happening in television, but the the dream of of True Detective season one and mm-hmm. uh, David Fincher directing Mindhunter and Steven Soderbergh directing The Nick. I think we're going to get things like Barry Jenkins, Underground Railroad. We're going to get great filmmaking. I, it depends Irma on Vett. what. Yeah, Sorry. Irma Vett. It depends <laughs> on what you're looking for. It's a, it depends on whether you feel like, mm-hmm. uh, as a, like an tourist, that one director needs to basically oversee or direct all of the episodes or not. But my concern, rather than the direction or the filmmaking side of television is the, there used to be ideas about what would be a good 90 to 120 page screenplay and what would be a good 20, you know, five episode run of a show. And I think that's still a little out of whack. And that goes to our next question, which is um, from Ronald Anthony Burgess. He says, are there any 2022 TV shows that you think would work better as a movie and any recent movies that you think would work better as a TV show? I have not seen a movie in years that I was like, I wish that was a TV show. Now that possibly is because I watch so much TV that I'm not like, oh, could I I wish Top Gun Maverick had been 10 hours long. Like I, I really treasure my experiences at the movies. I treasure the limited story. I love going in and coming out. Um, I think that I don't think we have enough time to go through the amount of TV shows that I think would have worked better as a movie. Yeah, and I think particularly to focus on look, I mean, I, I I thought we would make it a whole podcast without mentioning the bear, but the bear was a, Christopher Storer had it as a movie for many mm-hmm. years. That's what he imagined it to be, and then through FX development, through his own thinking, through his collaborator Joanna Kahlo, it became a TV show, and it's so much better for it. I think, although. It would have been a pretty cool movie. I mean, that's fine, but I think there's a richness there that it ended up in the right box. For me, the answer really focuses on the IP factories. And, um, you know, Obi-Wan was going to be a movie, and then they were like, no, no, this is better here. Was it better here? I mean, I, I, that's its own category almost, because I still don't think they ever cracked why there was more story to tell or what they wanted to do with it. So I don't mm-hmm. know if it would have been a more successful movie, because I still think I'm not sure what it, what the goals were, but um, 
know, like Moon Knight, for example, a show that I'll be honest with you guys, I didn't finish. I mean, I, th- I think that's crazy that there was a Oscar Isaac, Ethan Hawke TV show about a character that I have a fondness for that I just haven't found the three hours to finish. I, I, I would have loved to see it be its fullest expression as something weird and comic and intense and over, you know, as opposed to following the same six hour beats that these shows now seem to need to do. So I, I, I think it's an interesting question, one that probably deserves more thought before a full answer, but the most natural place for me to focus on an answer is on these projects that really were pickums. That yeah. you know, we're all there. Probably is a Moon Knight feature script in Feige's office. You know what I mean? Yeah, and they were I like, mean, nah, I, this goes better here. I think that that's kind of been my reaction to the second half of the Old Man. Was that oh, yeah. I wonder whether or not this would have worked better as a two-hour movie. Obviously, there were a lot of Ooh. mitigating circumstances with with uh, the Old Man, but to me, it's like a pretty decisive quality difference between the first few episodes and it, the second few episodes. It's dramatic, and it's it, it's so dramatic that I think we're both refraining from talking about it too much until maybe we finish it and see yeah. what the setup is for a second season. But I was I was shocked, honestly, by the I don't know if it was the fourth or fifth episode where it literally just became absolutely stone faced recitations of monologues in two different time periods. Right. With and I was like, what happened to old man with secrets on the run? Like that was compelling, but an old a one character on the run. I mean, look, people love the TV show, The Fugitive. You know what they really loved? The movie. Like there (laughs) are some things that can work in two boxes, but really flower in in a certain one. Aaron asks, what is your most anticipated release movie or television for the remainder of 2022? I'll probably go TV. I'm going to say industry, which is coming very soon. So it almost feels like it's cheating to say. Uh, for TV and then for movies, it's I'm not a complicated guy. It's Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon. I can't wait to see it. I, I really, I'm, I'm just ready That's, for another Marty movie. God, Chris, I don't know if I have an answer. I, 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 you know, I haven't been pouring over the release schedules. I feel like you've named two things I'm psyched about. I mean, Can industry I is definitely on my radar. Yeah, what's the movie I'm most excited about? Asteroid City. What? Noah Baumbach's Netflix cratering white noise. Dude, thank you, <laughs> thank you for this gift. Yes, I mean we will. Put a pin in that. We will circle back to how and whether this is true or not. One of our favorite filmmakers, Noah Baumbach, has somehow taken one of our favorite novels, the kind of unfilmable Don DeLillo classic White Noise, and apparently spent over $150 million, yeah. $150 million adapting it in Ohio for the last 14 months. I, I have no idea. I don't know what's true in the story. I don't know what matters, but this is one to watch um, and, and to pay attention to. Eric Luce asked, do you and Andy have any favorite albums released this year? Oh, I mean, yes. I, I We had so much fun making our, our mixtape for the mm-hmm. 4th of July. Like, it's been really fun to share. And I just have, I'm about to post another mix I made. I'm making mixes again, guys. I'm back. DJ Andy's, um, give me the album of the year, though. But the album of the year? So this is the crazy thing about it. I, I don't know. Like, the album of the year is for me, like, it's either the Pusher record or an artist I love called The Range made a record called Mercury. I also love the Super Chunk album. But I have to be honest with you, Chris, like I, I have been thinking about this as I've been working my magic on the, on the Spotify machine. Um, my consumption of music, I've now caught up with like older millennials, younger millennials. Like I don't really listen to albums anymore. I try, you know, but I just really don't. I love so many so songs. So do you skip through songs on albums, identify the ones you like, put them on like a master playlist? I'm curious yes. about the process. 
Well, yeah, like there's, a, so there's a singer songwriter named Carson McCone, who I just, I really like. She has an album out on Merge um, that I think is wonderful. And I like the whole album. It's really good. But do I listen to the whole album the way I used to when I had it on, like when I would walk around college campus with a disc man? No, I listen to the three songs that I love or I put them on a playlist that I love. Right. Um, there, there's, a, there's a Canadian band called Kiwi Junior that's on Sub Pop that has a new record coming out that I have the advance of that I absolutely love. But even that, there's a song called Comeback Baby that you can listen to now. It's, you know, it'll be on the mix I'm gonna post. And I just kind of focus on that. And I really like the way it sounds with the Braxton Falcon track and Grace Ives, another amazing new album that I just, what's happened? Like, it's a patience thing, right? Like the Grace Ives album, Janky Star is a good example. I listen to it and I'm like, this is awesome. I like every song here, but I could just listen to On the Ground 10 <laughs> times today. And that's what I do. And that's just changed my relationship. Uh, my favorite two albums of the year are Spiritualized 2022 album, Mm. Uh, everything was beautiful and drug church hygiene. Uh, so it, it's really good. And I do listen to those as albums, uh, not because I'm special, but just, uh, I just think that the spiritualized records specifically, everything was beautiful. Like actually like most spiritualized records, like feels like of a piece. And so once you put it on, sometimes we'll be listening to it in the house, making dinner and my wife will be like, this is great. I love this. And then we get to like the five minute free jazz freak out at the end of one of the songs. She's like, oh yeah, this is why I don't like spiritualized. <laughs> and that is tough, tough cooking uh, music. I have one last one here before I let you go, Andy. Is that okay? Yeah, please. Jay Barba uh, asks, back around 2016 or 17 at Wild, a pizza place in Park Slope, my wife and I had an altercation with a guy named Chris who looked a lot like you. Was it? Wow. <laughs> who looked like you, Chris, or looked like me? Apparently, it was like looked a lot like you, Chris, and his name was Chris. And it was this I've never oh. been to Wild. This wasn't me. I, I I've apologize. never heard of this place. And also, Jay, I, I don't get into altercations, really. No. You're no. a man of peace. Yeah. I'm a really, really easygoing dude. It's pretty hard to get my, my temper up. It's really true. I'm trying to think what I would can get possibly... into bad moods, but it's hard. For, it would be really difficult to like get me to like fight. What now? I feel challenged. I mean, like like a close call at the plate when you were a catcher, right? Like that could yeah, get you going. Yeah, those were my my younger days. You know, you were like, scrappy. Yeah, I was a little. I was. I'm from Philadelphia. You, you call me out, and I don't think I'm out. I'm gonna By say way, something about it. I, I we should end on the. I, I thought you were gonna bring it up when you said there was a, a question from Chris. I thought you're you, Chris. I thought you were gonna be like just broadly speaking. What forty percent of the questions are are why aren't you guys talking about X? Oh. Yeah, like I mean, we I mean we can address this on another mailbag. We have so many questions. We should save this. Yeah, for we'll part do a, we'll do a sequel. Because but I yeah, like out, but. I think that I really like obviously. Sometimes people are like, "Oh, how come you guys aren't talking about this?" or "Why haven't you spoken about this?" There's a variety of reasons. Sometimes it's that it's not really doing it for one or both of us. Sometimes simply just kind of have fallen off of finishing or watching a show usually because it's not really doing it for us, but like there's like, it's hard to stay current with all the TV that's out there. And uh, yeah, it's, it's honestly, it's not really the like kind of mission of the show that we do to kind of be completists. It's more to be uh, enthusiastic supporters of the shows that we really like followers of the industry that creates the shows and kind of mm -hmm. comment on that. And then every once in a while, like try to do our best to give something a fair shot and then maybe talk about it. But you know, it's not, uh, I wouldn't say that's like always 100% why things are happening. But like, if we're not talking about a show, it's just usually because like it either didn't click for us or we're just too far behind to really like offer substantive commentary on it. 
Or a third one, which is like what we do in the shadows is back. Yeah, still, I know. We've talked funny. about that before where it's like comedies are tough to talk about. I don't us. know what to say about it. Or like the AMC thriller Dark Winds. Like I checked out two episodes. I like Zan McLarendon. I'm happy it exists and is going to get renewed. I feel like people love the Tony Hillerman books and it seems to be doing a really good job adapting them. But like I didn't stick with it. And so I I don't have an opinion other than I was pleased that it existed. And that's not that's not good podcasting. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't have any negative thoughts. I just I'm had happy. some like- I'm happy for you, bro. Yeah. Slowly formative. Yeah, high five, bro. So that's, I, I think you summed it up well. Like the, the, the mandate of the podcast, maybe at the beginning was we would try to watch everything. We just Well, there were six now. shows on back then. So yeah, we could watch was, all the episodes of Homeland. Those were the days. Those were the days. Greenwald, I'm gonna let you go. I know you gotta run. Uh, we'll be back Monday night with Better Call Saul. Uh, Thank you to Kaya for producing. And we'll get to more of your questions later in the summer. We're not going to throw these away. We promise. Happy, uh, have a great weekend, Baranskis. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.